are moving our feet together for clean water for kids in Africa. I've been to Africa. If you've been overseas and seen people that don't have clean water, it moves your heart. And you want to do something about it, I encourage you to come to the meeting right after service, right over here, as Don said. We're so grateful for Don and Juhi, his wife, who are leading us again this year. And I've one year I ran with my wife, and last year I ran with my son. I encourage you not just to do it alone, but to find someone. It could be a friend, it could be someone who doesn't go to grace, and start to move your feet together and watch what God will do. $50 raised, one child has clean water for the rest of their lives. That's powerful. That's life-changing. So that's what we're doing together, and you have an opportunity today. We are also in this series, Connected. God wants us to connect with him, connect with each other, and then he's going to use us connected to the impact and the changed lives that he wants to bring. We're going through 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and chapter 13. You can turn to 1 Corinthians 12 right now, and we're really going to look at today, Jew and Gentile, on our minds and on our hearts is a situation in the Middle East. And tragedy right there, we are praying. God loves everyone in the Middle East, Palestinian, Jew. And today, we're gonna enter in, as we think about the body of Christ, not only connected to our families and friends, but connected overseas as well. At the end of this message, we're gonna conclude with a time of prayer where we pray for people in the Middle East. And also, I want to encourage you to seriously consider fasting tomorrow. Fasting. That's not a nationwide initiative. As I was praying about this week, I knew we needed to dive into this topic. And I don't think it's just to gain some knowledge. I think it's to enter into prayer and also fasting. It could be for one meal tomorrow. It could be for the whole day. It could be from entertainment. You choose, but I encourage you to seek the Lord. Seek the Lord. What's happening right now in the Middle East is very significant, and we want to be seeking the Lord, praying for brothers and sisters on the other side of the world. That's what we're going to do today. Amen? Amen. All right, let's, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we are thankful for all these blessings. God, we're thankful how you're bringing clean water every day to more people. God, we thank you that every day your kingdom grows as more people turn to you. And Father, we pray both here in the sound and in the Middle East, people would be turning to you today. And Father, as good things happen, as we receive so many blessings from you, we will say, not to us, O oh Lord, not to us, but to your name be the glory because of your love and your faithfulness. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. The goal today is to look at scripture, and this is gonna be like a walk through the Bible. What does God say about Israel? This is God's perspective, God's purpose, God's plan, and God's promises we're not going to dive into politics. We're going to focus on scripture and what's God's heart. What does God make clear? Now, we're starting in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and in verses 12 and 13, the body is a unit, though it is made up of many parts, and though all its parts are many, they form one body. So it is with Christ. For we are all baptized by one spirit into one body whether Jews or Greeks, slave or free, and we were all given the one spirit to drink. The first two weeks of this series, we focused on spiritual gifts and how unity grows when we use our gifts. And today, this phrase, Jew and Greek, Jew and Gentile, we wanna take a macro view of the body of Christ today and then specifically think about Jews and Gentiles. In this room, I'm guessing we have about 99% Gentiles. 
I'm guessing, we are honored if you're here today and you've grown up in a Jewish culture, Jewish faith, Jewish beliefs. Uh, we are honored that you're here today. And when you think about Jews and Gentiles, Gentiles need to be intentional about getting to know Jews and getting to know Israelites as well and being aware of the two different cultures. My family, uh, my stepdad's Jewish. My parents were divorced when I was seven and then my mother remarried when I was 11. So I went to Jewish temple for one year. I went to Jewish camp. My parents were married at Mount Zion, this synagogue in St. Paul. And the Jewish culture was new to me. It was my role to decorate the car after the wedding. And all I could think was to get two bagels and put them on the windshield wipers and just have some fun. Uh, I like bagels, but I just didn't know much about the Jewish culture at the time. Now, I've had a lot of conversations. I was an atheist at that time. Then I came to know Jesus in college, and I've had a lot of conversations with my Jewish relatives. I have a lot of Jewish family, and we are on the same page on so many things, and it really comes down to one key thing. Many of them say we're still waiting for the Messiah, and I'm saying don't miss the Messiah. Jesus is the Messiah, and Jesus was Jewish. We're gonna talk about a lot of different elements today. This is what I wanna focus on, three things the history of the nation Israel, the significance of the nation Israel, and then the future of the nation Israel. And from those three perspectives, we're gonna begin with history, and you need to go back to Genesis chapter 12. All the verses today are gonna to be on the screen. We're gonna look at a lot of scripture. Again, our goal is, what does God say? What's God's perspective? Genesis chapter 12, the Lord had said to Abram, go from your country your people and your father's household, to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. In chapter 13 and verse 15, we also read in Genesis, all the land that you see, I will give to you and your offspring forever. In Genesis 15, verse 18, on that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram and said, to your descendants, I give this land from the wadi of Egypt to the great river Euphrates. Here's a map. If you're not familiar with the Middle East, if you're not familiar with the area we're talking about, you see in between Egypt, in between Jordan, Syria to the north, we have Israel right along the coast there in the Mediterranean Sea. How many people have ever been to Israel? Just raise your hand. Yeah, a lot of people in this room have been there, so you know it far better than what the map presents. This is what God was saying. He was forming a new nation. He spoke to Abraham and Sarah, I'm gonna form a new nation, and this nation, it's gonna be designed to walk with me and to bless the other nations. Now, with those blessings, there's gonna be blessings, land, and descendants that God would bring. And whoever blesses this nation would be blessed. Whoever curses the nation would be cursed. In Genesis chapter 32, in verse 28, you think about Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the patriarchs. Then the man said, your name will no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. The name was changed from Jacob to Israel because you have struggled with God and with humans and have overcome. In this nation's history, there's a lot of overcoming. And when you think about Israel, he struggles right from Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. 
This is another study that you should dive into. Notice with Abraham and Sarah, the two sons, Isaac and Ishmael, because out of that decision and out of those two sons, you can trace everything back to these relationships. Abraham, then Isaac and Ishmael. Look at those dynamics. We have Sarah and Hagar as well. So that's another Bible study for another time, but Israel overcoming. And then Deuteronomy chapter 14, verse two For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. Out of all the peoples on the face of the earth, the Lord has chosen you to be his treasured possession. I wanna make it clear that God loves people from every nation, tongue, and tribe, and in heaven, we're all gonna be together from every nation, tongue, and tribe. God also does some choosing and selects. This nation selected by God, could any of us stand up and say, no, God, you can't choose that nation. Are we gonna say to God, no, we're gonna form a committee, God, and we're gonna tell you who you choose. Now, that happens in churches, we know that, but that's not how it should work. We're following God and who he is and what he reveals and his plan and purposes. As you look through the history of Israel, you're gonna see they're rescued from slavery in Egypt. God, through 10 plagues, raises up Moses, This is a reluctant leader who tried to do things his way and then said no way to God and eventually said, okay, God, your way. It mirrors our story. My way, okay, no way, God. Okay, your way, God. You're right. You're you're the one to be trusted here. And then out of that slavery, going into the promised land, Joshua and Caleb had a different spirit than others. They had faith, a generation in the wilderness. They moved in the promised land. In the promised land, you have people like King David and the 12 tribes of Israel. But then what happens? idolatry is where they stumble. And idolatry is where we stumble. Idolatry includes external, when you start to look around at people or created things and lift them above God, or money and lift them above God. Or internal, when you, inside, you're no longer putting God on the throne, you're putting yourself on the throne. All of that's idolatry. And as they have idolatry, there's strife, there's division. Idolatry always leads to division. 10 tribes in the north, two in the south. And from that, they continue to rebel against God at different times. We're not saying today that the Israelites always walk with God. There's always a remnant, but a lot of times in the history, they reject God. They walk away from God. And when that happens, they often go into exile. They were in Babylon, in exile in Babylon, and the message is return to God. And then God opens the door and they return home. There's a rich history throughout the Bible, and you want to know this history because it all points to God and how he moves. How he moves then, how he moves today, it's linked. This is from Ezekiel chapter 36. And as they're scattered, and you think about exile, in Ezekiel chapter 36, there's hope. For I will take you out of the nations, I will gather you from all the countries and bring you back into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and I will give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. Also in Ezekiel 37, the next chapter, and this is all the new covenant. And say to them, this is what the sovereign Lord says, I will take the Israelites out of the nations where they have gone. I will gather them from all around and bring them back into their own land. This is a theme in Isaiah chapter 11. 
Again, the prophets are foretelling the message from the Lord. He will raise a banner for the nations and gather the exiles of Israel. He will assemble the scattered people of Judah from the four quarters of the earth. And also in Amos chapter nine, the promise is repeated. God loves repetition. God loves repetition in scripture. I will bring my people Israel back from exile. They will rebuild the ruined cities and live in them. They will plant vineyards and drink their wine. They will make gardens and eat their fruit. I will plant Israel in their own land, never again to be uprooted from the land I have given them, says the Lord your God. The number of times they rebel, but then God gathers his scattered people and brings them back to the land. And it all points to God's faithfulness You know, one incredible year was 1948. And again, the people were gathered back to the land and given the land there. Uh, There's a lot of, when it comes to biblical prophecies, you get a lot of foothills and then you get the Rockies. And at different points, like coming back from exile in Babylon, there's one right there. And there'll be times in history where, where you'll see that there's a sequence and a connection and a building up of what God is doing. And we see that number of times in this, and then the new covenant as well. More important than the land, more important than the building we're in or the house you have is your heart. The call to return, yes, there's a physical land component, but it's a relational call to come home to God. It's for all of us. Amos chapter five, verse four, this really expresses the Lord's heart. This is what the Lord says to Israel, seek me and live. This is what he says to us today, seek God and live. The life that is truly life, that's what you experience when you seek God with all your heart. That was his message. So how can we summarize this first part? The Israelites were chosen and God gave them a promise. He gave them a covenant. They would have blessings, they would have land, and they would have descendants. There's a range of reactions to this. Some of the Israelites are gonna trust God, some are gonna reject God. They're accountable for everything they do, and some of it is not aligned with God. But the fact that God keeps his covenant, and the word in the Old Testament is chesed, that's loyal love. The Israelites will go up and down with their faith, But this is a story about God's faithfulness. Even when we stumble in our faith, God is still faithful. He's a covenant-keeping God, and he keeps his covenant. And the fact that we still have a nation today, the Israelites, that fact alone points to the existence and the faithfulness of God. Do you know how many people and nations wanted to annihilate the Israelites over the years? The fact that they still exist today points to the faithfulness of God. Don't miss this from scripture. This is part of the testimony and the story. And the fact that all are still even in that land is remarkable, remarkable. It reminds us God has the final say in our lives and in history. And I I want us to think about how many times they overcame that key word, Attempts for annihilation. When you think of the story that we celebrate, Moses praying with his hands lifted up in prayer, Exodus 17. Yes, God answers prayer. And yes, Aaron and her helped Moses' hands to continue to be lifted in prayer. 
That's a reminder we need some people in our lives to encourage us to keep praying, persistently pray, don't give up. But what we forget sometimes is that the Amalekites attacked the Israelites and were trying to completely wipe them out. When you open up the book of Esther, God exalts her, she's an orphan, she's adopted by Mordecai, God exalts her to be queen for such a time as this because the king has issued a decree with Haman's encouragement to annihilate and completely wipe out all of the Jews. And she risks her life and she says, if I perish, I perish, but I've gotta intercede. And then as you go through the scripture in Deuteronomy chapter 25, as the Israelites are you know, making their way and traveling, again, the Amalekites want to completely wipe them out. And David, there's a point right before he becomes king in 1 Samuel 30, where the Amalekites come and take the kids and the wives of the men. Well, the men were gone. And David finds his strength in the Lord, and there's a rescue mission, and God brings them back. I'm just mentioning a couple examples. The anti-Semitism, the attempts to annihilate the nation of Israel, it's nothing new. It's throughout scripture. And there's another level beyond just nations. And another level is the spiritual level because behind what we see in the physical realm, there's an invisible realm, and there is a battle that's spiritual between angels and demons, between God and the devil. You say, well, how does that tie in to all of this? When God declares that the Messiah is coming through the Jews, and he makes that clear, what do you think the devil wants to do before Jesus comes on the earth? completely eliminate the Jewish people because how could there be a Messiah if there's no Jewish people? And that's the attempt of the enemy. Now, there's human instruments and people are filled with hatred and they try to wipe out the Jews throughout the Old Testament. That's a reality, but behind that, you have to see the spiritual dynamic. When Jesus is born, what does Herod say and start to do? Kill all the kids Yes, Herod is making a choice, but it's the devil at work to try to kill the Messiah. It's always stop Jesus, stop Jesus. And that's a battle between good and evil that exists today on so many fronts. Again, God has a plan, God has a purpose, God has promises, and he keeps his promises. Could we agree to dive in more to the Old Testament and really know the word of God, really know how God moves, know the history of this nation, Israel, and how it relates to us today. That's an important part of scripture, and it all gives God glory for his faithfulness. Now, let's shift to the second part, which is the significance of a nation. When you think about this vision God had for this new nation, the Israelites, here's, again, a very core verse. Deuteronomy chapter six verses four to seven. And this is one that we celebrate today as we think about our families. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Please notice 
in these verses. This is a 24-7 relationship with God. It's not compartmentalized into one place or one hour. It's when you sit, when you walk, when you lie down, before your kids go to bed. Come alongside with them, pray with them, listen to them, talk about your story, talk about faith, talk about scripture, memorize scripture. Train your children to walk with God and do it relationally and close. That was God's design for the Israelites to be a nation that would bless all nations. And it's God's design, followers of Jesus, to walk closely with grandparents, parents, kids, to talk about the Lord at home, to have your home be a spiritually vibrant place. This is God's design. It was at the heart of the nation. And it's important as you think about that, abide and respond. One generation to the next, pass on your faith. This is a focus. Well, as the Israelites are doing that, what about the Gentiles? Are they just forgotten? Like, what's God's plan for the Gentiles? Isaiah chapter 49, this is a messianic prophecy looking ahead to the Messiah. And now the Lord says, he who formed me in the womb to be his servant, to bring back Jacob to him and gather Israel to himself, for I am honored in the eyes of the Lord and my God has been my strength. Here's the vision. It's too small a thing for you to be my servant to restore you know, the tribes of Jacob and bring back those of Israel I have kept. I will also make you a light for the Gentiles that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. As we're talking about connected, God wants to connect Jew and Gentile. In that culture, there were walls of hostility going both ways. Jesus is coming to break down these walls of hostility, some of the norms. He's gonna talk to a Samaritan woman and she's gonna put her trust in Jesus. Jew and Gentile, God's vision is for both. God's for both to be connected and God is gonna move in both. Jew and Gentile united and connected. Uh, The word for Gentile, goim, that meant anyone who's not Jewish. So if you're here today and you're wondering, am I a Gentile? Well, if you're not Jewish, you're a Gentile, okay? Uh, I don't have a perfect parallel for this. When I was in Texas, I kind of got a kick out of all the Texan stuff. And there's some Texas pride. And um, I'm not saying there's, there's pride there in, in this Jew and Gentile. But in Texas, I felt like you're either from Texas or you're not. Like, th- there's two groups here. And, and there were T-shirts and bumper stickers that said there's two kinds of people. You're either born in Texas or you wish you were, you know? And, and that was the sentiment in Texas. So I was like, okay, I'm non-Texan with the rest of the world. Uh, love the people in Texas. Four great years of studying God's word. Amazing churches. Uh, incredible fellowship. But there was like, you're either Texan or you're not. And there's two categories. Well, these two categories are throughout Scripture. Jew and Gentile. Jew and Gentile. Jew and Gentile. There's a lot of history there. It's important to see the progression in what God does in different dispensations. I want to point out, thinking of the significance of the nation Israel and the Jewish people, Jesus was Jewish. Jesus is Jewish. Jesus is fully God and fully human. It wasn't random that he's Jewish. It wasn't like God, you know, was trying to decide, couldn't decide, and did eeny, meeny, miny, mo up there in heaven. You know, this is very clear and intentional. Jesus was Jewish. His first followers were Jewish. The Messiah as prophesied. God's plan from the beginning prophesied. The Messiah would come, one of the descendants of David. 
in the line of Judah, born in Bethlehem. There's nothing random about this. This is God's perfect purpose and plan. In John chapter four, Jesus told the Samaritan woman, salvation is from the Jews. Salvation is gonna come out of the Jewish people through the Messiah, Jesus, and then will go to the Gentiles. Now, in, there's an action point here because some of you are like, a lot of information, where's some application? Psalm 122, verse six. This is the exhortation. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May those who love you be secure. Pray for Jerusalem, pray for Israel, pray for the Middle East in, in what's happening there right now. Again, I wanna make it clear, God loves people from all nations. God loves Palestinians, God loves Jewish people, God loves people from every tribe. And also in scripture, there's exhortations that are specific. I wanna challenge you this week to read Romans chapters nine through 11 because this is an in-depth God unpacks Jew and Gentile, what he has been doing, what he will do, what he is doing in Romans chapters nine through 11. And as Paul writes this, we're gonna look at a few verses. Romans chapter nine, Paul says, for I could wish that I myself were cursed and cut off from Christ. What a statement. For the sake of my people, those of my own race, the people of Israel. Theirs is the adoption to sonship, there's the divine glory, the covenants, the receiving of the law, the temple worship, and the promises. Theirs are the patriarchs, and from them is traced the human ancestry of the Messiah, who is God over all and in all, forever praised. And for I myself, I wish that I was cursed and cut off from Christ. What a statement. Paul's saying, I love the Jewish people so much that I would give up my spot in heaven so that they could be there. Do you love anyone that much that you would say, you know what, you take my place in heaven. I would give that up so that you could be in heaven. And, and I would give that up because I, I love you so much. There's not a deeper love and Paul's expressing this. You say, well, God's heart for Jew and Gentile. In Romans chapter 11, and read the chapter in between, I asked then, did God reject his people? By no means. I am an Israelite myself, a descendant of Abraham from the tribe of Benjamin. This is Paul's personal testimony, his lineage. God did not reject his people whom he foreknew. Don't you know what scripture says in the passage about Elijah, how he appealed to God against Israel? Lord, they have killed your prophets and torn down your altars. I am the only one left and they are trying to kill me. And the passage continues. And what was God's answer to him? I have reserved myself 7,000 who have not bowed the knee to Baal. So too at the present time, there's a remnant chosen by grace. And if by grace, then it cannot be based on works. If it were grace, uh, if it were works, grace would no longer be grace. And look at verses 25 and 27 also in Romans chapter 11. I do not want you to be ignorant of this mystery, brothers and sisters, so that you may not be conceited. Israel has experienced a hardening in part until the full number of Gentiles has come in. Just trace these two paths. First, the Israelites. Okay, salvation, so much is given to them. And then what happens? There's some unbelief and there's a remnant. And Paul now is seeing, and the church is seeing, Gentiles are coming to know Jesus. 
what's happened? The Gentiles are now engrafted. Israel's the root, the Gentiles are the branches. This is happening, and what is God doing? Saving Gentiles around the world until the full number of Gentiles come in. Yes, God continues to save people that are Jewish, and God is also saving Gentiles. And in his family, there's Jew and Gentile. God has a plan. The Gentiles, we are grafted in. We are grafted in by the grace of God. And then as we look forward, it's like, you know, what, what is happening? Um, this is just my take. I think that we're gonna see more and more people of the Jewish faith turn to Jesus. And again, full number of Gentiles coming in, still people of Jewish culture coming in, following Jesus. Why is this significant? Well, in a very practical application, Paul says to the churches then who are predominantly Gentile, don't forget Jerusalem and be generous to Jerusalem. They're struggling financially. They blessed you spiritually from the church in Jerusalem. Now remember them financially in their hardship. That's a practical application at that time as Paul shares that. Uh, I want to also point out that, you know, there's majors in the faith and there's minors. And in terms of a minor, there's something called replacement theology. And personally, I don't subscribe to that. But there's people today in the body of Christ who will say, no, God's plans and um, purposes for the Israelites, that all just shifts over to the church and the followers of Jesus now. I, I don't concur. I'm just sharing personally. I encourage you to dive into the scripture and, and make sure that God's word directs your convictions. But I, I would say that God still has a very strong plan and purpose for the Israelites as, as well. And so all of that ties into the significance of a nation. Can we all agree that the nation and the people are very significant to God? Is that not just jumping off the pages of scripture? Jesus was Jewish, right? Can, can we see that not only is there a rich history, but then also the significance for the Israelites and God's significance for that nation. And now in this last section, I want us to think and look forward to the future of a nation. And you know what just happened in the last week? I was just gaining some facts that there were over a thousand people killed in Israel. Uh, the equivalent proportionally, the percentage, it would be as if 30,000 people in the US were killed. Would you agree that if 30,000 people were killed in our nation this last week, that would catch our attention? 30,000 would be the percentage equivalent here. Okay, over 1,000 people were killed in Israel. Civilians, elderly, children, women. This is one of the most brutal acts we have seen. Beheaded, raped, videos sent around the world. Okay, this is very significant what's been happening this last week. Uh, over 3,000 rockets, 20 communities, over 150 hostages, many Americans uh, in what they're going through. That's why I'm saying we need to fast and pray. In addition to that, now you have Israel's response and you see what's happening in Gaza and more people are dying. And there is war in the Middle East. And I know that feels like the other part of the world we can't be naive. God loves every person. God takes no pleasure in the death of anyone. And there was terrorist activity. Now we have nations that are trying to figure out what to do next. This is an area right now that's not as stable. There's tension. There's threats. In terms of the nation Israel, they'd say this is the worst day since the Holocaust. As you think back to the Holocaust in Hitler, many of us 
you might think we won't see that again in our lifetime or anything like that, but look what's happening right now with the terrorism. And as you think through again the history, the Holocaust, but then what did God do after the Holocaust? Remarkably, he brought the people back into the land in 1948. And then 50 years ago, you had the War of Yom Kippur. And then 50 years later here, you've got the terrorism happening. Important pieces in history. This nation is about the size of New Jersey. Geographically, not big. We're talking about the nation the size of New Jersey. Jerusalem, the name Jerusalem means city of peace. And the irony is there's never been more tension or wars or battles over any other city. We need to uh, look ahead in a couple specific ways. And I'm gonna close with a couple things I think we need to know. Uh, One of them is that Jerusalem is going to be the center of the world's attention in the end times. It'll be the center of the world's attention. It's not gonna be LA. It's not gonna be New York. It's not gonna be Sydney, Australia. It's not gonna be London. It's not gonna be Berlin. You you name the country that you've been to, like this is where the world's attention will come. The closer we get to Christ, every day we're getting a day closer to his return. The attention of the world will be on Jerusalem. It'll be the focus and we need to know that geography, know that fact and what else from that? I'm not saying today that what Israel is doing is just good or there's no accountability. Many don't follow God. Many are making bad decisions. I'm not saying support wrong decisions. They're held accountable before the Lord. Uh, What I am saying is uh, there are different passages. Even when you look to Revelation 21, 12, uh, I wanna, again, it's looking ahead, think of that scripture. It had a great high wall with 12 gates, with 12 angels of the gates. On the gates were written the names of the 12 tribes of Israel. So God, it's not just a past thing. In the future, in heaven, this is significant, these 12 tribes. Now, when it comes to uh, just one other passage I'll mention, and this is Zechariah. And in Zechariah chapter 12, we have in verse three, on that day when all the nations of the earth are gathered against her, I will make Jerusalem an immovable rock for all the nations. Again, in Bible prophecy, there are foothills and then there's the Rockies. And God's making Jerusalem this immovable rock. And then as we look at this next verse uh, in, in Zechariah chapter 12, Uh, verse 10, and I will pour out in the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem a spirit of grace and supplication. They will look on me, the one they have pierced, and they will mourn for him as one mourns for an only child and grieve bitterly for him as one grieves for a firstborn son. This verse is quoted in Luke chapter 19. Let's go to Luke chapter 19. And again, the prophecy and the connection, the Old Testament, New Testament, sorry, Luke 21. Uh, No, actually, we're we're looking for Luke 19. Uh, That verse is coming up in a minute. But, um, It's quoted, that verse in Zechariah, when you think about Jesus' death, it's quoted, they look upon me and mourn. There are different points where Jesus, the Jewish people look at Jesus and one of them is on the cross and how do they respond? Here it is, these things happen so that scripture would be fulfilled. Not one of his bones will be broken. That was true of Jesus. If you say his bones were broken, that's false. His bones weren't broken. And that's one scripture. Another scripture says they will look on the one they have pierced, going back from Zechariah. When Christ returns, there'll be another looking upon Jesus. So in the different foothills, as we get closer to Christ's return, all that to say, Jerusalem's gonna be the center. That's the apple of God's eye. 
It's important spiritually. It's gonna become more and more prevalent. When you hear Jerusalem and Israel in the news, take note. Here's another one. Know the prophecy. Know as we get closer to Christ's return. In Matthew chapter 24, Jesus talks about the signs of the times. He talks about wars and rumors of wars. He talks about earthquakes increasing. He said, know the signs of the times. He exhorts the religious leaders, don't just know the weather. You're experts on the weather. You know the weather in the sky. Know spiritually the signs of the times and what's happening. There's a lot of prophecy uh, regarding you know, the Middle East. And you need to know there's an antichrist that's gonna come. You, you need to know, and again, my personal view, is that the antichrist is gonna appear to be the hero as he appears to bring peace in the Middle East. And he's gonna create a covenant. And everyone's gonna say, finally, the Antichrist brought peace in the Middle East. And then halfway through this tribulation, the Antichrist, it's gonna become clear, he wants to be worshiped. And he isn't the savior. He's a fake Christ. He's gonna break this covenant. There won't be peace in the Middle East until Jesus Christ returns. The Antichrist is not gonna bring it, but he's gonna try to bring it. Uh, there's a lot of scripture that God lays out. Listen, if every prophecy in the Bible has come true, historically up to this point, don't you think it would be wise to study the prophecy about what's coming? Wouldn't you say if God's going 100% in his track record so far, wouldn't you say what he says is yet to come is gonna happen? I mean, that would be a reasonable conclusion. So things like the Antichrist, the return of Christ, you need to know. And then there's some... Students of prophecy that have different opinions, and again, majors and minors. The major is Christ is gonna return. The minor is, what are the details? Like, I encourage you to study Ezekiel chapter 37 and 38. What is happening with Gog and Magog? And how does that relate to Persia? And, and how does that relate to Iran? And have you studied those passages? Do you know the alliances that are gonna be formed and how that relates to alliances today? Uh, that's important as you watch what's happening in the Middle East. So, what am I highlighting? Know that Jerusalem's gonna be at the center of attention the closer we get to Christ's return. Know that every prophecy will be true and there's many prophecies that you need to know so you're tracking with God's calendar. And then finally, know that Christ will return. I'll say it again. There'll be no ultimate peace in the Middle East until the Prince of Peace returns. And as tribulation and wars increase, as tragedies increase, the Bible doesn't say be fearful. It's not what it says. It's not what it says. The Bible doesn't say, stop sharing your faith. No, in fact, the exact opposite. God doesn't give us a spirit of fear. God gives us love and a sound mind. God gives us power through the Holy Spirit. The more you see things getting crazier in the world, that is time to abide with Jesus. And he said, this world's gonna have trouble, but take heart, I've overcome the world. The crazier this world gets, you don't imitate the world and be like, oh, let's be scared too. Let's panic too. No, that's when you start to look and different and everybody else and feel different and talk different because you have the shalom peace of God in your soul where you know how the story's gonna end. You know who's still in control and you say, no one can stop the plan and purpose and promises of God. I'm gonna go with Jesus. I'm gonna go with scripture. I'm gonna go with the peace of God. And when I'm tempted to be anxious, as we all are, 
tempted to be anxious, I'm gonna remember Philippians chapter four, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything with thanksgiving, present your request to God and the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. That's gonna be my intentional thought that I'm gonna put into my head when I'm tempted to worry. In Luke chapter 21, verse 28, we had a little spoiler alert before. Now let's read the verse. Spoiler alert, Luke chapter 21. When these things begin to take place, Jesus says they're like birth pains. You know, there's, for a woman to give birth, there's contractions, there's a buildup, there's a pregnancy with the sign of the times, notice them. When these things start to take place, stand up, stand up church, don't back down. It's time to have a spine, it's time to have some prayer and fasting, it's time to have some courage. You stand up, lift up your heads, because your redemption is drawing near. When you see the headlines and the terrible images and the terrorists doing atrocities, then you know we're getting closer. Lift up your eyes to Jesus. Your redemption is drawing near. Run the race, finish the course, be bold for Jesus. This world needs to know there's a savior and a Messiah. The Prince of Peace is going to return. Don't be naive about what's happening in the world today. Trust God's plan, connect with God. Jews and Gentiles unite. For such a time as this, we are on the earth. We don't know all the details, but we know Christ will return, King of kings, Lord of lords. And when he does, there's gonna be nations against him and just with his word, like a sword, he's gonna resolve everything, nations will be held accountable and he's coming back to rule and reign forever, forever. You're not gonna read that in a lot of newscasts or online publications, but I'm telling you, you and God, that's a majority. This word is perfect. This word is reliable. And as you gain 12 different news sources, just make sure you're spending time with scripture so your mind and your heart and your spirit aligned with God, ready for such a time as this. No panic and fear. We're trusting God. We're trusting God. We're gonna close uh, by taking about two minutes or so to pray. And again, I encourage you to fast tomorrow, however that looks for you, as take a time to seek the Lord. As we pray right now, I'm gonna guide us. You can pray where you're seated. I wanna pray for people in the Middle East right now. I want us to think about and connect with people who are going through a lot right now. And uh, you, whatever's comfortable for you, if you wanna sit down, if you wanna lift up your hands as you pray, if you wanna close your eyes. The Bible doesn't say you have to fold your hands or not. The Bible doesn't say you have to close your eyes or not. The Bible doesn't say you have to put your head down or not. Like these are all different postures. What's important is our heart and in love, we're connecting right now with the other side of the world. I wanna guide our prayer time and uh, let's, let's seek God together. Father, you told us to seek you and live. And right now, God, we're seeking you your presence, your peace, your power, your protection. Father, thank you for hearing our prayers. God, right now, we wanna lift up people in the Middle East. Go ahead and begin to pray for people in the Middle East, Israelites, Palestinians, those who are scared, those who have lost loved ones, those who are hurting right now. Father, we're lifting them up to you. 
pray for your peace in their hearts. We pray for your protection, God. We pray you comfort them as they mourn. God, we're praying right now for leaders, leaders in the Middle East who are making massive decisions, major implications, leaders of many nations right now, God. We pray they would honor you, would hear you, not in the flesh, but in the spirit, God. They would open up their hearts to you, give them wisdom as they cry out to you. God, we pray for the leaders in our country, here in the US, government, military leaders. Give them wisdom today. Give them courage. Help them to do what's right in your eyes. God, there's a lot of lives on the line right now. So we intercede. We pray for those hostages, God. We pray for the hostages to be released. Oh Jesus, be near those hostages today. Father, we need you. We're praying for people across the Middle East to turn to you. Where there's emptiness and fear, God, we pray they would abide with you. Your grace would be abundant right now. Father, we need your help. You're a refuge, strength, and ever-present help in trouble, and we seek you. You tell us to be still and know that you are God. And you will be exalted among the nations. Jesus, we long for your return. We know it hasn't happened yet so that the full number of people will come to know you, that heaven will continue to grow. And we're grateful for that. And we also long for you to return. We long for things to be right, for there to be peace and harmony and respect and love and for kids to have clean water and food and God, for Jew and Gentile to come together and love. God, Jesus, you're the only one who can unite us like that. And we long for your return. We know that overall we're getting closer. We don't know when, but we're gonna walk by faith. We're gonna walk with your courage and strength you give us. We're gonna walk, we wanna redeem the days, God. We wanna make a difference where we live, work, learn, and play. God, we want to speak the words you want us to speak. We wanna be united as a church. We wanna be at home, in our homes, God, seeking you together, in scripture together, praying together. God, use these tragedies for good, God. Awaken us to your purposes, local and global, in what you're doing around the world. We surrender to you today. We continue to pray and cry out. We see what's happening in the world. We're not naive. We see your scripture. We're not naive. And we thank you, God, for the boldness and, and the, the tenderness that you continue uh, to shape us with. And I pray that we would be faithful. God, we're listening to you, what you want us to do. And I pray we would be faithful. That's our goal. We would be faithful to you, Jesus. Whatever you're calling us to do today, we would be faithful in your strength. And just as we started, not to our name, Lord, not to us be the glory, but to your name because of your love and faithfulness.
us. God, this is part of the story of your love and faithfulness. May it fill our minds and hearts and souls. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.